this morning. If your Bibles and you can stand with me, Colossians chapter three. I thought for a minute Jess would get my message, uh, but I'm sure the next month or two we'll be where he was read this morning, because we're working our way through chapter three of Colossians, looking at our life in Christ. Colossians three verses eight and nine. But now ye also put off all these things, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing ye put off the old man with his deeds. Father, speak to our hearts today that your will might be done, nothing more. Nothing less or nothing else. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Our new life in Christ. Doesn't matter who you are today, every one of us have been affected by sin. And my friend, it's had a negative effect on our lives. God created Adam and Eve perfect. Sin came in. And the very ones that God created in His image, that image is now marred. And sin has kept us from being who God wants us to be, who He created us to be from the very beginning. And the very moment that we received Jesus Christ as our Savior, we began a brand new relationship. And i got to tell you, and I love my wife and I love my family, but nothing compares to the relationship I have with Jesus Christ, my Lord. It is a very intimate, close relationship. And I love Him so much. And even after all these years, I'm still amazed that he loves me. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound. Now that we're born again, there are two things that are important. Number one, we've got to live by the Spirit. The Spirit of God now lives in us, and we must allow that Spirit of God to control our lives, to guide our lives, to remind us of what Jesus said, and to fill us with the power to live this life to please God. So we have to live by the Spirit. But also, we have to look to Jesus Christ. And we look to Him, we obey His commands, not because we have to, but because of a brand new desire that God placed in our lives, we want to serve Him and we want to be loyal to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I don't know about you, but I'm longing for the day when I hear Him say, Well done, good and faithful servant. That's all that matters. That God would say, Well done. So when I speak about this life in Christ, this new life that we have, now that we're born again, we're talking about a life based on faith. Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Faith in 
God. A life that is motivated by love and a life that is guided by the Holy Spirit. And so we live in the Spirit. We look to Jesus that we might live a different kind of life. And my friend, if you're a child of God, you will live a different kind of life. You will. Because you're living by the Spirit and you are looking to the Lord Jesus Christ. Colossians 3 describes this new life. Describes and tells us about uh, our old life that we died to. Speaks about our new life that is hidden uh, with Christ in God. And because we have this new life, if you're born again, you have a brand new desire. We have a desire to live for God. We want to everything we do to please the Lord Jesus Christ. Jess read a moment ago in the introduction of our service, everything we do ought to be done for the glory of God. doesn't matter what it is. And now that we've been born again, God says that you and I have the responsibility of putting off the old man, putting off our old nature. So in Colossians chapter 3, verses 8 and 9, the Bible tells us to remove all of these traces of worldliness. We need to get rid of them. And once we are born again, once we experience this new life in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are now to act it out and live it out in our lives every day. And I want to remind you, folks, if you're a child of God, you don't need to wear a cross around your neck to tell people. You don't need to wear a, a, drag a cross on your back across the nation. If you're a child of God, people should see it in the way you live every day. Every day of your life. I find it kind of interesting, and we've kind of come quite a, a long way uh, in verses 8 and 9. We've talked about anger. Uh, we've talked about wrath. Uh, we've talked about malice and blasphemy. And we're now on filthy communication. But here's what I see going on a lot of times among Christians. When they read this and they look at those, you know, these are just little sins. They really don't matter. Well, let me tell you something. They matter to God. They matter to God. And because they matter to God, they ought to matter to us. If we name the name of Christ, these, what we call little sins sometimes, even though they're not, they ought to matter to us because they matter to God. So we began a week or two ago, we took a break last week, preached on baptism. But in verse 8, Paul says, now put off also these, all of these, filthy communication out of your mouth. Anybody have a mouth here? Uh, you ever said anything you wish you hadn't said? Have you ever thought, boy, I wish I could, I wish I could take that word back, just kind of grab a hold of it, you know, and, or get the fishing line and reel it back in? You know the problem with something, once you say something? Yeah, you can't take it back. But the Bible is speaking here specifically about Filthy communication. That involves crude talk, abrasive language, expletives. Now again, verse 8, Paul says, 
Put off all these. Anybody know what the word all means? Every last one. Put them all off. Now, we need to remember, in this verse, the Bible is referring to people who used to be pagans. Several years ago now, when I was on the, the first time I was on the home mission board, I'm back on her now. But anyway, uh, we all got together and we were talking, interviewing someone for possible mission work. And all of us kind of gave her a testimony and, uh, you know, the experience we've had. And Brother Roger Daniel shared uh, that he attended at one time for a, a year or so uh, a Seventh-day Adventist seminary. And some of the guys kind of, and one guy said, well, at least he wasn't a pagan. <laughs> and I always think about that when I read, think about what's going on here. Because Paul is addressing, the Bible is addressing people who at one time, they were pagans. He's speaking to people who one time, who used to live a lifestyle of sin. <laughs> and he also speaking to those who, who served sin at one time. And Paul said, but now you're saved. Now your life needs to be different. Now that you're living as a child of God, your life ought to be dramatically different than what it used to be and around the world, uh, different from the world around you. Folks, we need to make a difference by the way we live in this wicked world. Our life should be different. So the Bible says stop your filthy communication. Why? Why is that important? Why is it not a little matter? Because it matters to God. But number one, wrong communication will affect our relationship with God. 1 John 1, 5 and 6. The Bible says, "Then This then is the message which we have heard of Him and declare unto you. Notice this. God is light. And in Him and God is no darkness at all. If we say... We have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness. We lie and do not the truth. So when God says to me, stop your filthy communication, I have to realize the only way I can maintain this brand new relationship with God, and for some of us it's been a while, it doesn't matter, the only way we can maintain that is as we walk in the light. And my friend, we cannot disobey God's commands and walk in the light. If our communication is perverse, if it's sinful, if it's dark, it's going to affect our relationship with God. We have to walk in the light because He is the light. I mentioned, I asked a while ago, how many here have mouths? How many here have tongues? Wow. Did you know, did you know the power of the tongue? How, how that little instrument in our mouths can be so powerful. Proverbs 18.21 Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. The Bible is clear. Death and life are in the power 
of the tongue. Our tongues have the power to do good. With our tongues, we can give good counsel and wisdom. With our tongues, we can give a word of encouragement. How many ever need a word of encouragement? I can't tell you through the years of those who have come to me and they've given me a word of encouragement. They've used their tongue, the power of the tongue, to do good. But the Bible also says that the tongue has a power to stop anger. Proverbs 15, verse 1. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a grievous words stir up anger. You don't need to raise your hand, but have there been times that you knowingly used your tongue to stir up anger? You use that tongue, your mouth, your words to stir up anger. And the Bible warns against that. Because I'll tell you right, I'll warn you, if you're not careful, you'll stir up something you can't handle. But a soft answer will turn away wrath. Some years ago, a pastor, a friend of ours, and our family knows him. And my mind just went blank about his name. But he pastored for about 10 years in Pennsylvania. Tom is his name. What's his last name? Anybody remember his last name? He's always rooting for the Steelers. Yeah, Tom Jones. I should remember that, all right? And he preached at our, at our state meeting one year. And he said, I pastored this church for 10 years. I've told all the stories I know to tell. And they can tell them as good as I can tell them now. And I thought about that. I said, I've been here 30 years, and I've told more stories than I know to tell. <laughs> and y'all can tell them as good as I can. But I remember a particular time here at the church. I was here with someone else. And this is when I was a deacon here at the church, and we were doing some work in the attic. And his brother said something to me about what somebody said about me. That wasn't true. Now, he couldn't see him, but I could feel him sparkle flying out of my head. I said, I got to go. Got to the bathroom. I went down and got in my car, and I headed to this person's house. And it's about maybe a 15-minute drive, and I was rehearsing my head of how I was going to let them have a piece of my mind. And when I got there, I'll never forget it. God spoke to my heart. And I said to that person, I said, you know, I am so sorry I've offended you. I am so sorry that for whatever reason... You think I did this. And I'm asking you right now, by the grace of God, please forgive me. And guess what happened? There was no anger. And I'm so glad that God didn't let me go in my flesh, but that the Spirit of God spoke to my 
heart. But then we also know that the power of the tongue can do evil. In Proverbs chapter 6, God lists seven things that he hates. Look what it says. Verses 16 through 19. These six things that the Lord hates, yea, seven, are an abomination to him. A proud look, a lying tongue, notice the tongue there, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked imaginations, feet that be swift in running to mischief, a false witness speaks lies, and he that soweth discord among the brethren. Notice that verses 16 through 19 are one long sentence. And in that sentence, notice the things that God condemns. One of them is murder. But in that same sentence, God mentions and he condemns lying. And I want to say this morning, we speak about the power of the tongue to do evil. To tell a lie is a serious sin. Colossians 3 verse 9, Let lie not one to another seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds. I've often thought, I wish God would have given me a bridle for my tongue. I better be careful, he might do that, right? Now, I I must confess, I'm not into Facebook. I don't do that. If that's your thing, that's okay. I do text once in a while, quite often. But I think not only do we need to control our tongue when we talk, but also when we type. Control the tongue. And the Bible is clear. The person who fails to control their tongue, whether speaking or typing in social media. If you don't control your tongue, the Bible says you'll bring destruction to yourself. Proverbs 13, verse 3. He that keepeth his mouth, keepeth his life. But he that openeth wide his lips shall have destruction. So God includes in a list of seven things he hates, the lying tongue. But second of all, if our tongue is perverse, we will end up falling into mischief. Proverbs 17, verse 20. He who has a deceitful heart finds no good. And he who has a perverse tongue falls into evil. So you fall in mischief. A third principle. 
Gossip hurts. How many know that? One time when I worked at General Motors, I had to go to the tool room to get a particular tool, air tool or something, when I was in supervision. And there was a sign by the window where you stood. It said, I don't spread rumors, I just start them. A lot of people do that. But gossip cuts deep. It can hurt. Proverbs 18, verse 8. The words of a talebearer are as wounds, and they go down into the innermost parts of the belly. The fourth thing about a lying tongue, it hates. It afflicts people. Proverbs 26, 28. A lying tongue hates those that are afflicted by it. And a flattering mouth worketh ruin. Verse 16 and 19 of chapter 6, Proverbs 6 again. These six things that the Lord hate, yea, seven, are abomination. A false witness speaks lies, and he that sows discord among the brethren. Now don't miss this. The one who uses their tongue in the wrong way. God says, to him, that's an abomination. It's not a little sin. In God's eyes, it is an abomination. And our tongue has a lot of potential. And we can go two ways with that. Either of two. We've got the potential to do good, but we also have the potential to do evil. With our tongue. And I want to remind you folks. As Christians. We can be as bad as we want to be at times. And sometimes. We are. So the question is. For all of us. What are we using our tongue for? Is it edifying God? Are we building up. uh, Our friends and people. Or do we know for a fact that we are tearing them down behind their back? What are we doing with our tongue? Now, by the way, before you get the wrong idea, as far as I know, right now, we don't have a problem with that. But I think it's it's important to keep the door closed before the horse gets out. Amen? But we've got to guard what we say. But I think another important factor here is not just to be truthful, but to be tactful with what we say. Proverbs 15.4 A wholesome tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness therein is a breach uh, in the spirit. Do you have tact? I don't know who came up with these definitions of tact. They're not mine originally. So when I ask what is tact, here's what it says. Tact is the ability to make a point without making an enemy. Good stuff. I love this one. 
Tact is when you tell someone to go jump off a cliff in a way that makes them look forward to the journey. <laughs> That's tact, right? Tact is treating everybody as if they knew what they were talking about. <laughs> Let's be honest. How many times have you had a conversation with somebody you thought, they have no idea what they're talking about? <laughs> but tact says, well, I'll treat them as they did. But also somebody said, tact is the art of telling someone he's open-minded when he's really got a hole in their head. So tact is not always easy to do. And the primary way that we show respect is with our words. Be careful. Not just what we say, but how we say it. Again, the first few words of Proverbs 54, a wholesome tongue. That word wholesome carries the idea of healing. The idea of curative. It's a, it's a tongue that wants to bring help, if you will, not destroy. And, and the Bible, not, in, not just in Proverbs or the Old Testament as well, but also in the New Testament, reminds us that we need, we need to be careful. We need, we need to give a lot of, of attention to how we speak. Ephesians chapter 4, look at verse 15. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. Speaking the truth in love. Now, I want to remind you, my philosophy here at our church is that we need to be committed to truth. I was watching a video clip yesterday of a preacher sharing some things that's going on that's kind of making a resurgence in uh the Christian in evangelicalism, and that's called stand-in theology. First time I saw this would have been in, probably in the uh, late 70s. Uh, Pam and I were home in Illinois visiting our family, and we went to a church that my, grand, my grandmother attended at the time. And in their Sunday school class, we sat in a circle, and we each read a verse, if, if you wanted to. And once you read the verse, your challenge was, tell us what that verse means to you. That's called stand-in theology. Folks, God doesn't want to know what that verse means to us. What does the Bible say it means? It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter your background. We have to be committed to the truth of God's Word. And we must be. Now, again, I said that was, that was in the 70s. It kind of died out for a while, came back in the 90s. And from what I, from what I read and heard yesterday on that clip, it's coming back again today in, in, the, in the church. But we need to stand against that because we need to be committed to the truth of God's Word. Now, so what does that mean, to be committed to the truth? Well, I think, number one, it means that our words have to be honest. We must be honest. But it also means that our actions, the things we do, need to reflect the integrity of Jesus Christ. Amen.
And I realized the Bible says, and I don't want, I'm not making an excuse here. The Bible is clear. We are to speak the truth in love. But how many have found out that's not always easy? But it doesn't matter. We're still to speak the truth in love. And my friend, that is necessary. If we as a church are going to do the work of Christ in a broken world, we have to speak the truth in love. And that means we don't walk around pointing our fingers saying, I dare you. We open our arms and we care about you. Yes, we're going to tell you the truth, but we want you to know we do that because we care about you and we don't want you to die lost and go to a devil's hell. And we have to learn, if we haven't by now, the way we say something is going to go a long way to determine how well it's received. It makes all the difference in the world. And so learning to be truthful and tactful at the same time for you and I, as children of God, is an absolute essential if we are going to be respectful to people around us. I mentioned a moment ago, once we say words, it's hard to get them back. And you say, well, preacher, I just eat my words. Sometimes I don't want to eat my words. They taste horrible. And people who... Speak with tact, I'll guarantee you, will have a lot less they want to bring back to retract. And if we learn to say our words in a kind way, we won't have to often eat them. And I can't tell you how many through the years in the church that simply didn't understand that concept. They would actually confuse rudeness with frankness. Now, by the way, church, we never have an excuse to be rude. Ever. Not to each other. Not to the unsaved. But those kind of people who don't understand that principle... Their attitude is, I will tell it like it is, let the chips fall where they may. Now, my friend, that's not being frank. That's being mean and disrespectful to people. Now, make the mistake about it. We must speak the truth. But the Bible says... We've got to speak that truth in love. And my friend, I want to say this morning loud and clear, if I can't speak it in love, I better wait a while until I let God and the Holy Spirit deal with my heart that I can share that truth in love. So certainly filthy communication would involve our tongues in telling a lie. Communicating.
But another type of filthy communication, Philippians chapter 2, look at verse 14. Do all things without murmurings and disputings. Complaining and disputing. Grumbling, moaning. The Hebrew word describes a bad attitude. A bad attitude that expresses itself in constant grumbling. Don't murmur. Don't complain. Don't dispute. Most of you here have read the story of the Exodus. For 40 years, what did they do? They murmured, they grumbled, and they complained. And we have to realize God judged them for that. He judged them for what they were doing while murmuring and complaining. So why is it harmful? Number one, it is directly opposite of the attitude of Jesus Christ. And we are to, we've been talking about his example on Wednesday night, we're to imitate Christ. And grumbling and complaining does not imitate Christ. But the second thing, grumbling and complaining hurts our testimony among the lost. Amen. Uh, (laughs) The sad thing is, if all that people know about the church is that its members are always arguing and complaining, the members are gossiping, Folks, that's going to give the world a bad impression of the church. A bad impression of the church. But more than that, a bad impression of Christ and the gospel. And we don't want that to happen. And so when when unbelievers see that going on in the church, in their own minds they feel like they're justified. Justified in criticizing Christians. And here's the third area, why it's so bad. Those who study trends will tell us that more churches have split from arguing and complaining than they have from heresy. Wow. That's awful. So we should not be murmuring about things we do for God. And we should not murmur of the things we do as we live in this world. 1 Corinthians 10.31 Whether therefore you eat or drink, or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. I think there are at least three areas we need to watch out what we're saying. 
Watch your attitudes. Number one, in the secular job marketplace, where you work, where we do our business, where we live, as we socialize in this world. Folks, do you realize that no matter where we are, on the job, at home, in the marketplace, we need to maintain a testimony. We do. Especially because we are Christians. And hopefully those we associate with, whether it's at work, in school, at home, I mean in a, in a public place, whatever. If they know we are Christians, we need to maintain that testimony. We really do. I've done business in a couple of places quite a bit through the years when I had my remodeling company. And one time something was, was horribly wrong. I forget exactly what it was. And I went into the contractor's room there, and there's about four or five people who knew me over several years, knew my testimony. And I went in really nice, and I said, I need to see the manager. And right away, they knew something was bad wrong. Because they knew I didn't complain. I didn't murmur. I just didn't do that. that was, now I still wasn't. I mean, I had, I had a legitimate reason, and I went in in the right attitude. And I want to tell you, folks, if you live like the world, if you talk like the world, if there's filthy communication coming out of your mouth, if there's crude talk, all color jokes that you tell, who you so, please don't tell me you're a Christian. You know what that does? That brings disgrace on the name of Christ. And my friend, he must be honored. And we have to maintain that good testimony. And you don't maintain it by complaining about everything. Now, I've got to tell you, folks, this world is rough. I know that. And I know it's not always smooth sailing. But I want you to know there's no matter where we sail, God is with us. He's with us. And we need to maintain a testimony. And there's nothing that aggravates me anymore than see a Christian with a negative attitude. It's never just good enough. It's never just right. And when the world sees that, That kind of attitude, they won't want what we've got. And I don't blame them. I simply won't blame them. But not only in the, in the marketplace, in the secular world, but also in the church life. We need to have the right attitude. A non-complaining attitude. For whatever we do for Christ, all, whatever we do in the church. And I want to tell you, folks, constantly complaining about things is a sin. God's not happy with that. But also, it's very discouraging to the leader who has to hear it all the time. Now, thank God, I, I'm going to tell you, I don't, I don't, I don't see that. Maybe I'm deaf. I don't. I, I know I'm losing my hearing, but I don't see that, and I don't want to. And I, I, I hope you know. Being a pastor is not easy. 
It's not. And one of the toughest things. Well, I, you know, pastors only work one hour a week anyway. I work three, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. <laughs> but the fact of the matter is, folks, I need your help. I need your help to keep me discouraged. And when people complain and, and do those things, it, it is discouraging. It, it, it sort of takes the wind out of your sail. But I want to say something today, and I mean it with all my heart. God's been good to me in that area. He really, really has. And I thank Him more than I thank you for that. And as a child of God, this has always been my attitude. We need to support and be enthusiastic about following those in leadership. I uh, had the privilege of serving as a deacon under three pastors. And in fact, one of them called me this past week. And one of the deacons that served him in another church had passed away. And he was telling me about this fellow. And I, I, I hadn't met him before, but I heard my pastor friend say something about him. And he said, uh, he told this deacon before he passed away, he said, I want you to know something. In my 50 years of ministry, I've had three good deacons. And he named all three. One was a guy who was dying. And he didn't tell me that just because he was dying. But I was also on that list. And the crazy thing about this, that pastor did not agree on eschatology. We didn't agree. And I knew that when, when, when we hired him, and I still voted for him. He knew that. Thank God he finally converted, though, okay? <laughs> I wish he was listening. He'd get kicked out of that. But at any rate, we didn't agree. But you know what? We never debated it. Now, we did on the sideline. We had good, healthy Bible discussions. But even when he was teaching, I never once said anything about that I thought he was wrong, even though I maybe did. But I knew his heart. And I loved him. And, and he was, in fact... <laughs> The first time he came and preached for us, we had lunch that day. He said, Brother Rollin, why aren't you passing that church? I said, because God hasn't called me there yet. And he said, I never forgot that. Folks, we have to support our leaders. Now, by the way, if they're doing something that's not biblical, absolutely not. If they're not following God's uh, leading, uh, don't follow them. But we have to remember that in most cases, God puts leaders in place for such a time as this. We have to do what God's Word said. So in the secular world, in the church life, but also to other Christians. We read a moment ago in Proverbs 6, verse 16 and 19, the last thing that's an abomination was sowing discord among the brethren. How do you do that? Well, number one, I call Brother Paul Wheeler. I said, Brother Paul, did you hear this about Brother Dan? Right away, his ears broke up. <laughs> I call Sister Diane Wheeler. Sister Diane, did you hear this about Diane Coyle? 
And the problem is they probably didn't, but now guess what they want to know? They want to hear it. Another thing that causes problems is everybody said, fill in the blank. When you hear that, no one thing, not everybody said it. Might have been one or two, but not everybody said it. So the Bible warns us over and over again about causing problems among the brethren. And so again, these are not little sins. We're talking about things that are abomination to the Lord. And I don't want to be guilty. And so we sow discord by murmuring and complaining. We sow discord with a complaining attitude. Uh, We sow discord with uh, trying to get special treatment for ourselves. So many ways. And the Bible says, don't do it. And the Bible also tells us as Christians, those who are sowing discord, mark that person. Watch out for them. Watch out for that person and avoid them. Romans 16, verse 17. Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned, and avoid them. Well, we're out of time, and I'm about done here. Don't make other Christians avoid you. Be one who builds up, not tears down. Quite a few years ago, I don't know if Cheryl Cheryl Platt remembers this or not, but she gave me a little ditty about ten little Indians. And I looked and couldn't find it. But it talked about those who were building up and those who were tearing down. And I hope that you are a builder-upper. That you don't sow discord. You don't have further communication. And we have to realize fires don't start out big and destructive. They start out small. But even that small fire has a tremendous potential for destruction. In church, the same is true with our tongues, the words we speak. Let's stand together. Father, we we stand before you today knowing that our lives are are an open book from you, before you. And we know, Lord, there's nothing in our lives that you don't know about, nothing you don't care about. And Lord, I I pray for all of those who are believers today. I pray, Lord, that we will not allow our tongues what we say verbally or through written word to destroy our testimony with you. Certainly you are a God of integrity. Help us to be that kind of people, Lord. But Father, there are some who are trying to do this on their own. They're not into your word. They're not looking to Jesus. 
They're not allowing the Holy Spirit to guide their lives. And they're failing, Lord. And there are also some who cannot do it because they've never been saved. Never been filled with the Spirit. And have never looked to Jesus. Father, wherever the need today, I pray you'll bring conviction. I pray, Lord, you will draw the lost to you. And God, I pray for those who say they're Christians. Help us to desire the power to live it out. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.